and welcome to Student Affairs Now. I'm your host, Keith Edwards. Today, we're talking about orientation, transition, and retention. Today's episode is an edited version of the NOTA Leadership State of NOTA session at the NOTA Annual Conference and the following Q&A session that I hosted on October 27, 2020. There are some great insights, perspectives, concerns, and possibilities for all of us in higher ed. Student Affairs Now is the premier podcast and learning community for thousands of us who work in, alongside, or adjacent to the field of higher education and student affairs. We hope you'll find these conversations make a contribution to the field and are restorative to the profession. We release new episodes every week on Wednesdays. Find us at studentaffairsnow.com or on Twitter. Today's episode is sponsored by Anthology. If your goal is to engage in effective assessment, boost data fluency, and empower staff with strategic data collection, documented analysis, and use of results for change. No matter where your campus is in the assessment journey, Anthology, formerly Campus Labs, can help you figure out what's next with a short assessment. You'll receive customized results and tailored recommendations to address your most immediate assessment needs. Learn more about how Anthology's products and expert consultation can empower your division with actionable data by visiting campuslabs.com sa now. As I mentioned, I'm your host, Keith Edwards. My pronouns are he, him, his. I'm a speaker, consultant, and coach, and you can find out more about me at keithedwards.com. I'm hosting this conversation today from Minneapolis, Minnesota, which is the ancestral home of the Dakota and Ojibwe peoples. And now I'm going to turn it over to the NOTA leadership. Executive Director Joyce Hall will kick it off, invite the rest of the NOTA leadership to introduce themselves, and lead this first part of the conversation. I'm Joyce Hall, NOTA Executive Director. Let's start with the introduction of our fabulous NOTA Executive Committee. Hello, everyone. My name is Heather Kovanek. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I currently serve as your NOTA President, and I proudly serve as the Director of the Office of Orientation and Transition Programs at the University of Delaware. I'm Carnell McConnell-Black. Pronouns are he, him, his, and I serve as the Vice President for Student Life at Reed College, and I am currently your President-Elect. I'm Melanie Payne, and my pronouns are she, her. I am serving the NOTA Association as past president, and my current role outside NOTA is as the director of the Office of First Year Experience Programs at Indiana University. My name is Lizette Raballero. I serve as the Equity and Inclusion Officer within NOTA, the director and associate dean of students at Virginia Tech for New Student and Family Programs. I'm Christopher Haig. I'm the Assistant Director of Orientation at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and I serve as your Secretary and Treasurer. First, I'll start with the three presidents. Um, ask um, you to answer this question. What would you have said was the state of orientation, transition, and retention pre-COVID-19, and what were their hot topics and emerging trends, and how has that shifted now that we are deep in the pandemic? Thanks, Joyce. I can get us started. Um, prior to the pandemic, I think one of the trends we were seeing was the resurgence of concern for students' mental health and how to address it within our orientation, transition, and retention programming. With awareness, stigma, and support being re-emerging concerns, these concerns have since only increased with the continued impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on students' college experience and has been even further amplified, at least within the United States, given the racist violence and divisive rhetoric occurring across our country. How we as practitioners work with our partners and campuses to address these issues 
particularly through students' initial transition to college, will be critical to their overall retention. We have to consider how to meet students' needs in a virtual learning environment, providing ample opportunities for creating meaningful connections with their peers, faculty, and staff, and enabling them to develop a sense of belonging, even if they're not physically able to be on our campuses. So I would um, say, um, I would kind of character characterize this in terms from a VPSA institutional level decision. I would say generally VPSAs or senior, senior student affairs officers focus um, was more on the physical campus experience and its impacts. Um, and that alludes to some of the things that even Heather stated. But I'm thinking about it more from enrollment decisions that impacts the profile of an incoming class to a focus on transition and retention efforts and its connection to institutional budgets. And I think that during this pandemic, I think um, we have BPSAs and senior student affairs officers have probably been more focused on how our students are experiencing the transitions to our campus, where you are seeing most likely your vice presidents or, or, or um, senior student affairs officers more focused in how and in the weeds of how you um, are actually doing that work. Um, um, and probably because they want to make sure that that experience is going to be solid for the incoming incoming class. And I think there are more questions I think that need to be asked around the expectations of more support beyond the classroom and the impact on student success. And does this mean that we're going to ch change what we offer to students? Um, but one of the things is that I would caution institutions to focus and to make some critical decisions as we can't be all things to all students. And so what is our focus and what is our responsibility as OTR professionals? I think another piece of this is really thinking about the value of a college degree. Is it worth it? Yes, to me, it's worth it. Um, but is it worth it to our students to continue to navigate the college landscape year to year and beyond in the way that we are currently experiencing it? So that's a little bit of, of my thoughts. Thanks, Cornell. Well, Technology-related access and tools that we have clearly been on our list of hot topics and trends during the pandemic. The use of digital media and technology to broaden access to critical information and resources was a hot topic well beforehand. We've seen more and more systems, products, and tools being developed and offered, many from our very own associate members, to assist us in our work. How we navigate what works, what is sustainable and what fits our needs in serving our populations continues and is a trending topic. I'd also like to mention a couple other things though as important trending or hot topics um, prior to the pandemic, but also um, more so even now. First, equity and access in our programming, in our priorities and in our long-term planning. Um, we're all cognizant of the world around us and how important the access and equity is more so now than ever. Also, the role of orientation in the yield process, just where do OTR-related offices and staff fit at our institutions? Who truly is responsible for the transition and retention of our students? And of course, the increasing cost of higher education and, as Carnell mentioned, the perceived value of that degree. Great, thank you. So Lizette and Chris, uh, I'd like you to talk about what should be the top of the mind for NOTA members as they prepare for the academic year in order to stay relevant on their campuses, not only this year, but beyond. Um, I think we all know that the pandemic is going to be with us for 
just a little bit longer. Um, and how engaging with uh, NOTA, um, their association, can help play into that. Lizette, do you want to start us off? Sure. Thank you, Joyce. I think similar to years past, we need to, as was mentioned by our presidents, prove our work in more ways than one um, to our campus community and ensuring that they continue to understand that at NOTA and as orientation and transition retention professionals, we know that orientation is not a one-time singular event that it is a process um, and that we ensure that our students are being successful. Um, as Melanie mentioned, we're part of the yield process, but we're also part of the full transition and continuing into that retention. And so how is it that we are engaging our orientation team members to continue to be peer leaders in the landscape that we're currently experiencing? How is it that our staff is engaging with our students? Um, how is it that we can connect with faculty to better understand the orientation and transition experience in the virtual world? How is it that we work with our academic colleagues? Uh, many of us had not done academic advising on our campuses in the ways that we had to during the pandemic in a virtual setting. And how is it that we evolve that and can work collaboratively to create a more seamless transition for both our students and working with our advising colleagues to do that? And ensuring that there's individualized attention um, and that it is needed and wanted by our students and knowing when we also think about involving the families and how is it that family members are getting the information that they desire and need. I think that I can speak to our institution here. We saw a decline in the number of families that were involved in orientation, but we also see that many of the family members are who are contacting us with concerns right now. So how is it that our association and our members can continue to think about the family aspect and how important it is and how is it that we provide them information in their orientation and transition process to higher education with their students. Thank you, Lizette. Chris? Yes, I would add that this new modality and a budget crisis will signal to some leadership that it can be done at a low cost. So. Uh, it's important to share the assessment story of the impact of orientation, transition, and retention, and the positive and negatives of online programming is critical. Additionally, we have more, we need to be more intentional about how we work with our academic affairs and specifically our advising colleagues to help them and understand the connection with orientation, transition, or retention, and how this is part of their work as well. Uh, the impacts of online advising uh, impact our o impact OTR and our overall yield. Thank you, Chris. One more question that I want to check in with um, for um, Heather and Carnell. Uh, what is a practice that OTR professionals should be engaging in right now? Heather, do you want to start us off? Sure. Thanks, Joyce. I think both Chris and Lizette articulated this, but I think assessment is now more important than ever as we evaluate the impact and effectiveness of our virtual efforts to determine how we enhance orientation, transition, and retention programming moving forward. In addition, I think the incorporation of more digital engagement with new students and families has the ability to increase equity and access for all of our students to the programs and initiatives we offer. And so it will be critical to demonstrate using data how we can bolster student success through our efforts. As Lizette mentioned earlier in particular, it will be critical for us to tell our story, articulating the value and necessity of orientation, transition, and retention work. 
Thank you. Carnell, do you have anything you'd like to add? Yeah, so I would also think about this this moment in time because we've been inundated with lots of things around self-care and community care. Um, self-care for ourselves, but community care and how we can set up, uh, you know, um, practices that really allow us to take a moment to pause. So we thought we were connected all the time. Now we are truly connected all the time in this virtual in-person blend of our work. Um, I think we're meeting with students in, in the evenings because they, we, they have other obligations during the day now. Um, classes are asynchronous. You know, the traditional work day has really gone out the door more formally. So building practices of articulating your boundaries um, when you need to disconnect and not considering everything an emergency. You know, I had this philosophy around poor planning on your part does not necessitate an emergency on mine. So I really think it's important that we really set clear boundaries. Um, and, then, and then the other way is to actually hold yourself accountable to, to those boundaries. Um, and when you're asking for something that, that doesn't really require, you know, someone to shift their whole schedule or move something about or, or whatnot, like, really being mindful about what you are even asking of individuals on your team or are your of or, or your colleagues. So this idea around self-care and community care, I think is really important. I would like to add one more thing, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, and it is, um, is to remind our members is that you know, we have in this moment, we've again, we've we've leaned back on best practices and things of that nature and we've leaned on the research and things of that nature. And I think moving forward, what's going to happen is that we're going to have to really be innovative and critical about the ways that we have been doing things. Um, and so I know our NOTA members are so talented around thinking outside of the box, being innovative. And I think this is a time where I know folks have like their, their back pocket of all the innovative ideas, pull all those out because that's what we're, we, we need to look at right now. Because again, what, what was the climate we were in prior to this we could be like, oh, well, here's the box. Here's where we have to stay in the lines. I would say your VPSAs, your, your senior student affairs officers are looking for innovative and new ways and willing to take some major risks. And this is a time to just put it out on the table. So I, I, would, encourage, I would encourage our members is if you have that creative idea that didn't get approved last year, but it could actually be something that works now, this is the time to, to put it out there. So take, take, take the step. For this next part of the conversation, I hosted a Q&A with questions from the participants attending the NOTA annual conference virtually. Enjoy. It was really great hearing a year-all conversation, um, talking about what NOTA has been doing, the state of NOTA, everything going on, and these, these vast complexities of intersecting major issues in higher education, our culture, our society, from COVID to racial injustice, to economic issues, to what's facing our students on campus. Um, and one of the things that was really striking to me in hearing some of your comments was about how COVID is playing out in orientation. And as I talk with my orientation colleagues around the country, one of the things I, I continued to hear from them, even in middle of March, when they knew right away they're going to be shifting before maybe anybody else did, was we really don't want to go to virtual. We love the in-person. We love the in-person. We don't want to go to virtual. And what I started hearing uh, from them at the end of summer and after the opening was um, some of this has been really better, actually. Some of this was not a sacrifice. Some of this is really great. Some of the things we can't wait to get back to. Um, and I'm just curious, 
um, to Melanie, I I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about what some of these shifts to virtual and technology have meant, what have been some of the innovations that are really exciting and what have been some of the challenges of this? Well, I will in invite my colleagues to also share innovations and cool things they've heard, but, but I think I'll, I'll back up to, to your point when all of this started happening, I think every orientation person's world went a little like jump in the heart, you know, pulse in the stomach and, and like, oh my goodness, what do we do now? Not because we're afraid of technology, I would like to acknowledge. And I believe that um, all of us who um, think about these things all of the time um, would say that technology has been an issue for us for a long time, that we have, have talked about how do we incorporate, how do we use technology. We were just never faced with, it's not an option, right? And so, so just trying to figure that out and figure it out quickly. Um, some of our colleagues um, around NOTA have had already started um, taking reservations for orientation. Some of our colleagues have already started planning their first year. Um, some of our colleagues um, had already communicated with students what orientation was going to be like. Um, so it caused a whole lot of, of, of different ways of thinking. Um, but you're right. Um, I think most of us, whether we had in-person pieces or were totally virtual, um, and how we started marketing our programs, we started with, although orientation is not what we expected or we're not in the place we would like to be, that became kind of our mantra. Um, yeah, of course we had some opportunities. And, and of course there are things that we learned that um, I've heard colleagues all over the place saying, you know what, we're going to keep some of these things, even if we were to go back to normal. Um, it's opened up some possibilities for access. Uh, it's opened up some possibilities um, for maybe affordability of, of um, getting to campus and orientation. Um, all of that, though, is a caveat of yes, but. The yes, but, I think we all acknowledge that it is not the same experience in boxes. It is not the same experience when you're staring at, at a computer. And, and what, what we know as, as um, orientation, transition, and retention professionals and staff is that so much of the experience, experience of connecting with a place and with people is that in-person feel. And so I think we mourn a little bit, and we still do the inability to help students touch and help students walk through campus and feel a part of something. But using um, tools, many of which are available through our associate members, using Canvas, using Homegrown, I've seen amazing videos. I've seen game gamification of components. Um, I've seen um, whether it's use of social media or um, quizzes and in and, and, and different styles. Um, we had to get creative and, and our NODA membership is very creative and, and made some really cool things happen. Mm -hmm. But I still want to go back to having the in-person piece because we have yeah. that connection for sure. 
Can I jump? Can I jump in here real quick? Please, please it's, so it's so interesting because I was just thinking about when we were when the when we were writing the core competencies what now three four years ago, and one of the things that I remember having in the conversation was about technology and how we use technology <laughs> and moving beyond face to face. Like, and so it's really interesting how I think this has come full circle that that's even it was part of our core competencies before we even got to this place of like we have to really switch the way we do things, but we were already starting to have the dialogue and the conversations and doing the trainings to, to be able to get to this place. And I think we're just now more competent in doing, you know, the- Little did we know, right? right? <laughs> well, many members do it well already. There are many of our two-year partners sure. others that were already experts in this space. And, you know, for us, in-person residential campuses. We, we lagged behind because we could, um, but there were definitely people I learned from that had blazed the way and, and told us uh, best practices to start. And you know, that's a really good, good point. Just real quickly, one of the things that we have always known about NODA and we have always bragged about regarding NODA is, is NODA members share information and NODA members learn from one another. And, you know, even years and years ago, we used to, you know, kid about, oh, borrow, steal, get other people's ideas. Well, we saw evidence of that. Um, steal is a kind of a hard word, but <laughs> NODA members reach out to yeah. Right, right. Borrow. How did you do this? What did you know? What can you share? Um, so we definitely saw that, and, and I hope, I assume that continues, because that's always been a part of who we are, but that was kind of fun to watch, NOTA learning from NOTA. Yeah, I really appreciate that, and folks chiming in, there, there, as Chris pointed out, there are so many models of this. People have been doing virtual and online long before some of the rest of us have been doing it, and how do we learn from what worked and what didn't work, and how do we pay really great attention now to what is working better, what do we never want to go back away from? Um, and, and what are we eager to go back to? Um, Heather talked about, um, you know, mental health has been a rising issue, not just since March 13th, but for years coming up to, and now we see the, the needs and the ability to assist students with their mental health. Um, could you talk to us a little bit about what you're seeing and hearing uh, on your campus and for mothers about how we can help students with their mental health, their well-being, and fostering this sense of belonging that's so critical, um, both through summer and welcome week orientations, but also in the ongoing transition for people who are arriving as transfer students, people who may be arriving in January, um, because that is key, not just to the retention, which we care about, but also to their literal survival, right, and, and ability mm -hmm. to, to be well, um, not just for college, but, but for life. Yeah, I think I appreciate that, Keith. I think, you know, as we've seen, our students are struggling in different ways. And as we talked about in the panel, I think this has been a really traumatic year for some of us mm -hmm. as professionals, for some of our student populations, and also navigating the experience of college for the first time as a new student, trying to understand your own identities and connect to a campus and connect with peers is just really challenging in this environment. And so I think, you know, as I think about the work that we're doing at the University of Delaware, trying to be really intentional about constantly putting out what are the ways that we can provide support for students, making them readily visible in all of our communications. I think campuses were already doing that, but there's even more impetus to really intentionally talk about what's happening and in some real ways and create some real spaces for students to process what's going on for them, um, whether that's related to mental health challenges that they've experienced 
leading up to college or that are a result of the pandemic, the systemic racist, racism and violence in our country right now. I think there are just so many things that people are trying to process and manage. So the more that we can do as campuses to incorporate that self-care is in a, a critical piece of student success, that in order to act, be academically successful, personally successful, you really need to check in with yourself and think about what do you need? What resources can we offer and provide to you as a campus? And then I think the critical piece is that sense of belonging, right? Like as, as we talked about with the technology, you know, we've, we've seen some amazing things that campuses are doing in their orientation and welcome week programming. And I think as I teach a first year seminar and interact with my first year students, I do think there is this sense of, I'm just gonna wait till I'm coming to campus. And the University of Delaware is a pretty traditional residential campus. And I've encouraged them like, don't wait. This is your moment. This is, these are the ways that you can start to connect with others because that's what will help you feel that, you know, as Melanie said, there's not that physical connection to campus. So how do you create this virtual connection that makes you see your, that helps you see yourself in the spaces on campus? And I think some students have jumped right in, you know, and, and taken advantage of opportunities like informal gatherings during a welcome week or jumping into um, an involvement fair and those sorts of things that happen virtually. But um, I think we need to be really intentional about how we create spaces and that we engage our student leaders in that process too. Because I find as an administrator, there are lots of great ideas that I think I have, but without that component of our student leaders and our graduate students who can really connect with students on a different level and help them be authentic in those spaces and talk about what's going on for them. I think those are critical pieces to continue to incorporate and even amplify further um, so that students see well-being as just a way of life and not necessarily only in crisis or only in trauma do I reach out and take advantage of some of these opportunities. Well, and you're yeah. reminding me of, of Brene Brown talking about the difference between fitting and, and belonging, right? Fitting in is changing yourself so you fit the surroundings mm -hmm. and the community and the people, whereas belonging is being accepted for who you are and your authenticity. And, and you, you tipped us to, to one of our questions from our attendees around student leaders, and I'd love to hear from, from any of you who wanna chime in on this. Um, Addison, I think, who's a senior start leader, um, is that's at least how you're showing up for me, is asking how, do, how can student leaders help lift up other student leaders in this virtual orientation role? You pointed to that. Any other folks uh, want to chime in here about how we're, how you're seeing or how could student leaders help support other student leaders and not just uh, the students who are in the orientation and, and how do they support each other as leaders? You know, I will say, um, and I think it's just, a, again, alludes to some of what Heather has shared um, is that, you know, how can we create spaces for students to be able to have the conversations with each other? Um, and, it, and some of this uh, at Reed, one of the things that we're trying to do and continue to do is, yes, well, we know we're in a virtual environment, but we also are trying to create in-person opportunities during this time in the most COVID safe way. Because I think what we're finding that students still want to connect with each other. And, and obviously, some of them are doing their classes online, or they may have all their classes online. Um, but they're still craving that, that personal human connection that doesn't always come across 
um, as well um, through a virtual format. So I've, again, I've seen students do things like, you know, uh, we have we have a group of students who are doing our pen pals. So we're going back to the old days, like pen pals is like writing, a, actually writing a letter and not having to send an email. <laughs> it's surprising you get a you get a handwritten letter and you're like, oh my gosh, like we know the intention that went into writing that handwritten letter. Um, or just being able to say, if you're stressed about something, let's go take a walk. Um, again, building in some also these wellness pieces into those conversations so students themselves can have have, have the opportunity to connect. Um, so I, I, for me, it's, it, I'm, I'm seeing it more of creating the space for students to be able to come together in a way that is still safe during COVID, but recognizing that we're going to have to get even more innovative and creative with the ways that we're offering programs and services to students to be able to, to make those connections. I think the other powerful piece, just if I can jump in, mm -hmm. um, is student leaders sharing their story. So, you know, putting yourself in a vulnerable space, right? And sort of embracing that vulnerable vulnerability because I think normalizing that this is hard and this is hard for me as an established student leader, but these are the ways that I'm committed to supporting you. You know, when I think about my orientation leader team this summer and the work that they did to say like, yeah, this isn't how we wanted to do it either, but we're in it. And, you know, this is how we're going to be a community of blue hens at the University of Delaware. And so mm -hmm. I think they were really honest about some of the, their own personal challenges and then the ways that they've navigated or used resources to help support them. Um, so I think the more student leaders can really share their own story. And, and that, I think that's so compelling um, and can really help students feel like, OK, I can do this, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a wonderful way to, um, you know, as leaders and as educators, um, I never want to take a physics class from a Nobel Prize winning physicist, right? That sounds scary, but someone who failed physics their first year and mm -hmm. is now in teaching physics, you know, yeah. <laughs> how can we share some of the mess and mm -hmm. show how we came through it, I think can be really great. Um, and uh, Carnell, you're, you're pointing to not just, you know, we're talking about students and how we help students' mental health and well-being, but we all need to be, be doing this. Um, Lizette, I want to I want to come to you. We're talking about belonging versus fitting in, and some of these issues, and we're we're seeing in our world, in our society. I'm in Minneapolis. Uh, this conference is kind of in Minneapolis, where George Floyd was murdered by police officers at the end of May, and uh, witnessing all that came from that. Um, and I think we all feel this renewed sense of urgency around addressing systemic racism and white supremacy and other forms of oppression. How are you seeing um, this new environment, not just COVID, not just virtual, but everything that's going on in the context of our world? How are you seeing folks translate that into doing real equity work on campus? I think that it's happening in a multitude of ways and we continue to have to be responsive to the day-to-day -day concerns that are happening around racial justice and in a lot of ways the challenge of people's humanity and the fact that with the recent Supreme Court confirmation we need to be thinking about the folks who are going to be severely impacted by that and that it is not just about racial justice while at the forefront and most necessary for us to address. It is also about our queer identifying individuals, women and our identities and how that's being challenged by the Supreme Court justice as well. Um, I think that the ways in which we have to continue to address and challenge 
um, what our programming is on our campuses and how we do that is multi-layered. And so I think that it is more than just doing the checkbox and saying, oh, we did this program and it worked. It is a lot more than that. And in the racial justice conversation, you'll hear a little bit more about that later today. But I think it's, it's being critical on, is your program meeting the needs of all of your students or is it just meeting the needs of a majority of your students? And so how is it that you're thinking crit critically about that? Is the staff that you're hiring reflective of the students that are coming to your campus and the needs that need to be met by that? Are you using technology in ways to Melanie's point that help with access or is it creating additional barriers? Um, have you considered that there are students that based on a multitude of reasons, whether that is regional location, socioeconomic status, et cetera, that cannot have access to internet and that maybe you oversaw that in your planning process. So have you thought about different pipelines to that? Are you in whatever role that you're in addressing policy at your institution that creates systemic barriers in higher education as a whole? Are you addressing that? And I think, you know, connecting to the wellness piece, it is important for us to know that our individuals who have all of the identities that are currently being attacked in so many ways in our society, are they finding a place where they can go to someone who is able to acknowledge that and to allow them the space to grieve what is happening, to process that, or to even acknowledge that they're going through something. And so when we think about well-being, we often focus on our students and we forget about our staff members who also need that to be able to give to the students. And so how are we thinking about all those different things and how it does play into how we show up? And the fact that for some of us, just being on the screen and having the identities that we have is taxing. Mm -hmm. And how do we make time to sit with that and to create space for individuals to feel validated? Mm -hmm. Is that, oh, really, would, sorry. Go ahead, Melanie. Go ahead, Melanie. Wouldn't, wouldn't you also um, say that one of the one of the things that we have been faced with and reminded of um, is the importance of um, certainly intentionality, all of those things that Lisa just said, but at the same time, we and our staff in particular, our orientation leaders, our student staff, our frontline staff are being expected to address, address all of these things and, and be intentional and, and create these spaces. They're also going through what, what they're going through with, with fear and anger and confusion and trying to figure out how they feel or knowing how they feel and maybe not fitting in with how others feel and trying to do the right thing, but not knowing what the right thing is. All of that was happening and is happening at once. So I think that complicates things even more and exacerbated by the fact that we do all of this in this kind of setting. Things would have been a little bit different had we been able to gather in person and, and support each other in those ways and, and brainstorm and process and reflect and take action, but we're doing it in a setting that is, is not what we're used to and, and that we're, you know, you can get hung people, whether it's right. technology or COVID, you can't <laughs> Right. You're so you're very right, Melanie. And I think what's important to, to remind ourselves in that, too, is that we cannot make this the work of our students all the time. And so 
I think that some, we know that the greatest workforce of OTR is our student leaders. They are on the front lines in ways that we cannot be. And so we also need to be mindful that we are not using them in the ways that are concerning and again, the taxation of human capital um, in the work of social justice is something we need to keep in mind. And so our students also need to have multiple spaces and we need to show up for them and honor what it is that is happening. Well, and I think you're both pointing to, I mean, as Lizette, as you were talking about all the things to consider so rightly, it also can be overwhelming. Like, how do I consider mm -hmm. all of these things and all of these things and all of these things? And I think one of the things that really gets in our way in the diversity equity realm is this fear of not getting everything right and then we don't do anything. And so how do we get in there, do our best, be as conscious, be as intentional, be as aware as we, and when we mess up, then try it, learn and try and do better. And um, just the, the notion that perfectionism is, is a part of white supremacist culture. So how do we get past that perfectionism and having to have it all right, have the answers all figured out before mm -hmm. we do anything and not be, be stuck in that point. Um, Carnell, we've got a, a question here from uh, Jonathan Tunwar about the future of OTR staffing budgets and program development during COVID and post-COVID. So we'd like you to prognosticate out the future. When will COVID be done? When will we be past this? When will we be back in person? I'm hearing so many campus folks say, you know, we really want to do our assessment, which we'll get to here in a little bit, so we can plan for September when things are back to normal. And I'm saying, you think? I'm not so sure. Um, there's a whole bunch of things that are, are going to, uh, there's so many unknowns and uncertainties. So what's your sort of prognostication <laughs> into the future? Well, I mean, everything is going to go back to normal, right? Like it really is. It's like, we just come, it's, you know, we, just, we got a few more months. We'll get through this. We'll be open. No, not really. Um, but, uh, you know, my, my sense of this is that, you know, we're going to be with this for a while. Um, and I think for an institution and for a while, I'm meaning a couple, at least a couple more years, even after we get a vaccine, after we get all, I mean, it, it, we are going to live with the experiences that we've had, because again, we've had impact on enrollments. We've had impact on the ways that uh, folks who maybe have delayed their decisions to go to, into higher ed, um, folks who have um, staff members and faculty members who have been laid off, things of that nature. And that's not all gonna change overnight. It's not gonna all change over in, in a year. And so we know that the, the, the ways that um, higher ed works, you know, we are these cycles, whether it's a two year, you know, for our two year colleges, or if it's four years, you know, you live with your class for four years. Um, or um, so there's just so many other, so many elements that we have to think about as we engage in this. And I think, I think what's going to be really important is that we have to make some really strategic decisions now to think about where we are going to invest for the future, while also at the same time recognizing we may be constrained on resources. Um, and so a big part of this too is helping, I, I think, campuses um, and, and folks at really all levels of, of the organization to understand what the priorities are, helping folk, people focus a bit more. I think that's uh, fitting for our conference. Um, like we have to focus um, and we can't do all things right now. And so we're gonna have to really be very thoughtful about what are the major impacts 
um, and what is it that is core to who we are as institutions. And even as we have these conversations uh, as um, as NOTA, like we are having these conversations, like what is core? We're, we're getting ready to start doing strategic planning. So even in that, people are like, why are we doing strategic planning now? Well, actually we will be out of this, but we have to situate ourselves for what it will look like on the other end. And I think that's very, uh, that will be similar to any institution. Um, and again, that gets back to the place of like, if we don't make any decisions and just stick with what we're, where we're at right now, that's not the, I don't think that's the smart decision to be able to situate ourselves um, as organizations, as individuals to just stay and say, say okay, well, this is where it's going to be and this is how it's going to be when we finish. The reality is the higher ed landscape is going to be very different. Um, it is already different. And so if we're not acknowledging that and then planning um, to see what that will look like in the future, um, that that's something that we, we will, it will be a missed opportunity. Right. So I'm saying this is an opportunity, sure. Yeah, and that's so hard because uh, as I work with folks on campus, uh, I'll send an inquiry and for seven months they've been saying, you know, Keith, it's a great question. Let us get back into two weeks and two weeks we'll know a lot more. And then two weeks they're like, we need just in two weeks we'll know a lot more from opening to choices to social distancing. We're in this time of like uncertainty just continues to go. And with a presidential election and protests and um, whatever incidents in our culture happen, we're just this increasingly uncertainty, which is so hard to plan when you don't know what the knowns are. I, I think when, when I'm working, particularly coaching presidents and senior leaders, they're feeling so much pressure to make decisions because their people want, you just tell us what we're going to do. And they're saying, I, give me the inputs. <laughs> tell me what the budget is. Tell me what enrollment is going to be. Tell me about the vaccine. Tell me about what's going to be effective. Tell me what's state appropriate. If you give me the inputs, I'll make this decision. But all of this is unknown. And so we're in this context, Carnell, of so many unknowns, but we can't wait. As you're mm -hmm. saying, we can't wait. We can't just pause and then wait. We've got we to live in this moment and have this be a live time, not dead time. And so how do we do that? How do we tend to our people? How do we tend to ourselves? We talked about mental health and well-being and self-care and community care so that people can make good decisions about what our priorities are, so that people can make good choices about what we're going to let go, what we're going to focus here but not here, and be innovative and creative. How do we create these cultures? You know what's so interesting? Because I, I, I want to point a little bit to this idea around self-care versus community care. Self-care mm -hmm. is the onus is on the individual. Community care is the onus is on the organization collectively. And so for me, when I think about this idea around community care, I think that's where um, we can start this conversation about, okay, what can we do as an institution? What can my supervisor do? What can my VP do? What can my colleague who's right down the door do to help provide support? How do we help each other out um, collectively? Um, and so, um, yes, self-care is, I think, an important piece of this. But if we're thinking about it from an organizational cultural piece, we have to start to think about how we are embedding, whether it's policies or practices and things that really help and elevate um, our, our professionals. Um, and so when we start to think about, okay, what does this mean as it relates to, um, you know, the, the elements of, like, we decisions need to be made and folks are stressed out and because we don't have a decision made folks are I realize that I think there's a point of saying and it may be easier to say than to do but to give grace and and, and patience during this time 
Um, and I think folks are, are are trying to also plan their livelihoods. Like it, it, it's, and that's the reality. Um, and so whatever we can do, whether it's little nuggets as we go to be able to, to help folks navigate their kind of day-to-day life, um, knowing that there will just, right now there's just the reality of uncertainty, just acknowledge it. Yes, there's, there's things that are gonna be uncertain. This is when we expect to have things. If it doesn't come when it's well sued, we follow back up and say, hey, it didn't happen the way we wanted it to happen. We got more information or we made a decision based on what the information we had at the time. Well, we actually have to change the decision now because we have new information. And I think a big part of that is uh, the sense of uh, going back to like, we have to get it right, right away. I think we're in a time where we have never been in this. So we don't know what we don't know until we are experiencing it, but to do it collectively and collaboratively, I think it's really important. Mm-hmm. I, I love this, just acknowledging, not pretending, not wishing it was different, but acknowledging what is and how do we live into that and how do we navigate that. Uh, Chris, I wanna to come to you around assessment. A lot of what we've been talking about has been around um, massive change some of which was probably some bad ideas, some of which turned out to be brilliant and way better than we ever expected. Um, in, in your uh, comments earlier, you talked about assessment and the role of that. What are you seeing or what are you suggesting around assessment for um, what's working, what our priorities should be as Carnell is pointing us to, um, and what should, what should we forever keep and what should we let go of and how do we navigate this unknown territory so we're learning as quickly as we can for our students? Yeah, I think um, really looking at assessment in in multiple iterations. So you're assessing right after events, you're um, doing long-term culture assessments and program reviews and and looking at at assessing at every level of the institution and of the programs to really get as much data as you can um, and really thinking about how are we telling our story and how are you how as uh, OTR professionals are we advocating for our needs and our students on our campuses? Um, we know, and Lizette has said this many times at the board table, others are starting to tell what, what is the best practice and what is, uh, should we be do? Um, some of our associate members and other organizations are, are leading the way and putting information out there. And um, we are still the experts in this field, even though it's a different modality, we know what a student needs. The student's needs never changed. How we're delivering it obviously has over this last year, but- Oh, that's a such a great point, Chris. Say that again, say that again. <laughs> the student's needs never changed. Our, our modality changed. Um, and we just need to figure out what's, uh, what we're doing to, to help uh, enhance our programs and what, what went well and what can we return back to. Um, and that's going to take a lot of planning. It, there's going to be years, as Carnell said, of this kind of in-between and, and where we're at and the impacts of, of this pandemic. So I also see a question about um, what is NOTA doing. I know our research committee is looking at our data bank and really thinking about what questions are more relevant this year and how we can um, uh, assess those and, and get information from uh, members. And then also I would put it out to the, the membership do research, publish in the Jay Cotter, get involved, share information. Um, We'd love to hear from you. We have some great publications and um, put that out there so others can learn. Mm -hmm. In fact, if I can interject, um, we just finished the board meeting yesterday and one of the suggestions was 
uh, to do a special edition of the Jay Cotter that includes everything related to COVID and how we've, how uh, I hate that word pivot, but how y'all have changed and evolved um, in your work um, and start sharing some of that research. So get your thinking caps on. We want to hear from you uh, when <laughs> this announcement comes out, because that's the only way that we'll be able to share this information is, um, as Melanie pointed out earlier, is that you all are learning from each other. And um, it's really important that, that you share your experiences, good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, we learn from everything that is happening right now in this pandemic and, and definitely the association is as well. So watch for that announcement. Right. Yeah, I, I love that. And I just want to briefly tie back to what Chris had mentioned that you know uh, the things that were important to orientation last year are more important this yeah. year. Uh, relationships, belonging, mm -hmm. equity, well-being, those were probably things that you were focused on in 2019. And they're not less important, they're more important, but how do we do them in a different modality, as Chris said. And then as Chris and Joyce are pointing to, how do we learn as quickly as we can, all these things were shifting in this changing environment, how do we learn as quickly as we can, what's working, what's not working, so we can do better. What's working, what's not working, so we can do better. And, and on your campuses, and I, I love Joyce bringing in, how do we share those things? And share your failures. You can learn so much from them. But share your successes, because there's a lot to learn from those, too. Um, Joyce, we've got some questions for you uh, about NOTA. We've heard from this awesome panel about the work on campuses, and people have some questions about how NOTA is supporting that. You've already mentioned some of the assessment and bringing that together and sharing that out. Um, that we have a question here about how, how does NOTA from Wadad Youssef, how is NOTA really leaning into this global future and serving the global members uh, of the association? Could you speak to that a little bit? Sure. So we have, um, we have a global initiatives committee that is helping us spearhead this work. Um, NOTA is represented in an international student affairs association. And what we're hearing internationally is uh, what we're hearing here in the United States. The, the, the feelings and the, um, the uh, operatives are not different. And so we're, we could learn a lot from each other from the international landscape and vice versa. So we don't, I'm very careful not to um, say this is the Western way and everyone should follow what we're doing. I mean, we even know some of the language is different um, and how we use in term orientation compared to some other countries. So we have to, we as an association uh, recognize that and are starting to have conversations about that. Um, Becky Rowe, who's the chair of the uh, Global Initiatives Committee has put together a great guide. How we use orientation in the United States might be a different term in another country. So those are um, some things that we're doing. Thank you so much to the NOTA leadership for letting us share these great conversations as this Student Affairs Now episode. Thanks to our sponsor, Anthology, formerly Campus Labs. There was lots of mention of the importance of assessment during this episode, and Anthology, formerly Campus Labs, can help you out. You can receive reminders about this and other episodes by subscribing to the Student Affairs Now newsletter or browse our archives at studentaffairsnow.com. Please subscribe to the podcast, invite others to subscribe, share on social, or leave a five-star review. It really helps conversations like this reach more folks and build a community so we can continue to make this free for you. Again, I'm Keith Edwards. Thanks again to the fabulous guests today and to everyone who is watching and listening. Make it a great week. Mm -hmm.